A couple weeks ago, the Worcester Kiwanis Club hosted their annual strawberry social. Uh, my family and I weren't able to attend, but it wasn't because we hadn't heard about it. When an organization wants to spread a message, arguably the most effective way is to do similarly to what the Kiwanis Club did. To have the individual members of the organization scatter out and permeate their respective neighborhoods and workplaces and social circles to personally relay the message. At Oaks, we call this mission. As a church, we first gather, like we're doing right now on Sundays and Wednesdays. We considered our gathering last week, the community gathering last week. We sing and pray, we partake of the Lord's Supper. We preach the gospel to ourselves again and again, lest we forget the hope of our salvation. So first we gather, and then we scatter. After we have been refreshed in the gospel during our gatherings, we then disperse out into our neighborhoods and workplaces and social circles to show and to share the hope that we have in Christ. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. The book of Romans, like the majority of New Testament books, was originally a letter, and this one written by the Apostle Paul to the Christian church in Rome. Now, Paul didn't plant the, the church in Rome. In fact, at the time of his writing this letter, he hadn't even met them face to face. But Rome was the center of power in the first century world. With maybe a million residents steeped in paganism and with the church being challengingly comprised of both Jewish and Gentile believers, there was a lot that Paul needed to communicate. And so he penned this theological treatise of a letter to herald the righteousness of God and the good news of Jesus, to offer wisdom to the Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome on how to worship together despite their differences. And as we're about to read, to urge the Roman Christians to scatter, to permeate the city of Rome with the good news of Christ. Now, if we were to start at the beginning of chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, and read all the way through it, we would see Paul is reflecting in chapter 10, he is reflecting on his own people at large, the Jewish people. Most Jews in Rome and elsewhere, they had a zeal for God, but their zeal was based on the law and not the good news of Jesus. And the whole first half of chapter 10 is Paul lamenting this. As we come to verses 13 through 15, the unbelieving Jews are still on Paul's mind and it spurs him to urge the Roman church members, Jews and Gentiles, to urge these believers toward the mission of gospel proclamation. So that is our immediate context as we dive into this passage. I would ask too, if you would pray with me before we read. Heavenly Father, May you be glorified by the reading of your word. 
And Holy Spirit, may you ignite in us a desire to show and to share the message of Jesus with those in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Forgiven and freed from sin. Granted forever life after death with God in renewed creation. There is no fine print here. There are no hidden fees, no schemes Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are people going to hear this good news? Paul rhetorically asks in our short passage. This is the mission of the church. And so for the rest of our time, on the topic of mission, let's consider three things. Number one, the means of mission. Number two, the method of mission. And number three, the message of mission. The means, the method, the message. Number one, the means. Uh, back to my mildly cheesy opening illustration. <laughs> if the chairman of the Worcester Kiwanis Club were solely responsible for getting out the message of the strawberry social... My family and I and a host of others would have never heard about it, right? How can one person effectively relay a message to an entire city? They can't. It's impossible. The same is true for the church. Though many churches, especially in America, have looked for loopholes in this. By amping up the music and buying a bunch of fancy tech to attract droves of unbelievers to come into the church to hear one person speaking from the stage. Now, to be fair, and I'm not dragging anyone specifically through the mud, but to be fair, this way of thinking, it, it is often well-intentioned, but it undermines several important things. First, the church gathering is for believers, I mean, the original Greek word, ekklesia, from which we get the word church, it literally means the assembly of called ones, a.k.a. those who are already following Christ. That is what the church is and why the church gathers. Second, when the church gathering becomes, or I'll say it this way, when the church gathering caters to unbelievers, when we change everything that we do to be attractive to people who aren't yet even believers, the gathering becomes the mission 
And when the gathering becomes the mission, the robust, savory meat of God's word is not taught, causing the believers therein to starve and to stagnate in immaturity. Third, when the church gathering becomes the mission, the individual believers who comprise the church are not properly equipped, nor are they deployed as the missionaries they're supposed to be. This is what Paul is literally urging against. How are the unbelievers of Rome supposed to hear the good news? How are the unbelievers of Worcester supposed to hear? Verse 15, by the beautiful feet of each of you who disperses from this gathering carrying the good news into your neighborhoods and workplaces and social circles, you and I are the means. At Oaks, we have four missionary partners in Brazil and Germany but we have a hundred plus missionary partners right here in Worcester. Think about all the differing neighborhoods we disperse to after this gathering. You and I uh, don't live where we do by accident. We have been placed there by God as his priestly ambassadors. Think about all the different workplaces we disperse to Monday through Friday. You and I don't work where we do by accident. We have been placed there by God as his priestly ambassadors. I don't have to figure out a way to get into the break room at your place of employment because you are already there. And you don't have to figure out a way to get into my neighborhood's happy hour, as it is called, because my wife and I are already there. We don't have to drum up ways to incentivize all the unbelievers of Worcester to come into a Sunday service to hear the gospel because we're called to take that message out to them. So let me personalize verses 14 and 15. Brother, sister, how will your neighbors and your co-workers call on Jesus if they don't know what to believe about him? How will your neighbors and co-workers believe rightly about him if they don't rightly, correctly hear about him? There are a lot of gospels out there today. Accuracy is key. How will they rightly hear about him if you don't rightly preach to them? And how will you preach to them, brother, sister, if you don't recognize right now that you have and are being sent to them by God? Some of us may be sent to other cities or states some of us may be sent overseas to Germany or south to Brazil, but most of us are sent right back into our neighborhoods and our workplaces, our social circles, 
carrying the message of God's love made visible through Christ. We are the means. And this flows right into the method. Point number two. When you think about being on mission here in Worcester, what comes to your mind? Do you picture yourself knocking on doors and presenting people with information about God and sin and Jesus and salvation? Do you picture yourself volunteering once a month at a soup kitchen, handing out food to a long line of people? The Lord can use both of these methods, but I think it's important to understand a couple things. First, sharing the gospel message on the porch of a total stranger nearly empties our ability to show them the gospel through humility and patience and sacrificial love. This is disadvantageous because showing the gospel is almost always what gains people's trust and their willingness to listen to the gospel message, especially in 21st century America. I mean, everyone who comes to my door, I'm skeptical of, right? Conversely, though, showing the gospel to a line of total strangers by serving food once a month is also disadvantageous because more often than not, whether it's a soup kitchen or clothing drive or a service project, picking up trash outside, though there is a place for all of these things. Do not hear me saying there is no place for those things. But more often than not, those projects do not generate opportunity to really carefully share the message of the gospel. And it's the message of the gospel that is critical for salvation. St. Francis of Assisi is often quoted as having said, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Uh, not only did St. Francis not say that, that's really stupid. <laughs> like, it is entirely flawed. And how are they to hear, Paul asks, how are they to hear without someone preaching? We don't, preach the gospel just by our actions. We preach the gospel with our mouths and it is accompanied by the power and corroboration of our actions. We have a growing benevolence ministry here at Oaks because we desire to tangibly and wisely assist people in need. Those who are truly naked, we desire to clothe them. Those who are truly hungry, we desire to feed them. But I'm going to say what I've already said a number of times this morning. At Oaks, we believe the best method of mission is a relational method. Relational. Meaning the people who live across the street and next door to us. The people who work in our departments and our adjacent cubicles. The people who run on the treadmill next to us each morning at the gym. The people, the person who waits the table at our favorite restaurant or runs the register during our weekly grocery trip. These people in our everyday spheres of life, these people see us often enough to observe our relative reasonableness, right? To observe our patience our authenticity, 
our generosity and our joy. These people, we rub shoulders with these people often enough for them to observe our hope. That person has a hope. He has a hope. In the midst of all of these political woes, he, he's hope, she's hopeful. It is this that is at the forefront of the Apostle Peter's mind when he writes 1 Peter 3.15. He writes this to believers like you and I, always be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for a reason to give them an answer for the hope that is in you. The, the inference here is that those in your close circles of life, they're going to see that you have a hope that really is not grounded in the right now. I mean, who has hope right now? Well, you do. Because of Christ. They'll see. And many of them will ask, Lord willing. Be ready to preach the gospel message to those who most often see your gospel fruit. The relational mission field is our primary mission field in the same way that Jesus came into the world at a specific time and he entered into a specific place to dwell among a very specific people to show them and to share with them the kingdom of heaven that he had come to inaugurate just like this. We're not Jesus. No, 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 no. don't hear me say it. But like him, we as his followers are called to show and to share his message to the people who surround us every day already. On our streets, at our jobs, in our gyms, now look, the relational method of mission isn't as clear cut as a monthly soup kitchen or an hour of door to door evangelism. It's not as clear cut because it's not like we get to just serve for an hour and then cross off mission, you know, off our to-do list, right? Instead, what relational mission requires is prayerful intentionality when we wake up in the morning oh Lord remind me remind me to treat the things I'm already doing and to treat the places I'm already going today remind me to treat those things like the mission field they are and remember the wonderful promise of our passage I personally need to remind myself of this every morning that I wake up that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that wonderful promise reminds me of just how beautiful the feet are of those who carry the gospel message into their daily interactions. So this is a primary method, relational mission but what exactly is our message number three what is this good news that we are to carry with our two beautiful feet into our neighborhoods and gyms and workplaces and other spheres of life what is that message what is the good news is it turn or burn 
Is it let go and let God? Is it love wins, especially in the month of June? No. (laughs) It is simply and profoundly this. Although we have each rebelled against the God who created us for his glory, and although we each deserve the punishment of eternal separation from him, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. He lived the holy life we have each failed to live. He died the death we each deserve. And he rose to life that we would turn from sin and call upon him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's astounding to me that God, so unsearchably infinite and complex, would use so simple a message to soften human hearts, to bring us to our knees, and to restore us to himself forever in a renewed creation where heaven and earth will unite. Do you believe this good news? Do you believe that this good news is the most beautiful and powerful and critical message the world could ever hear? Do you believe this good news has the power to make the proud humble? to make the fearful courageous, to make the miser generous, to make the recluse hospitable, to make the troubled joyful, to make the anxious restful, to make the combatant peaceable, to make the impatient calm, to make the gossip restrained, to make the complainer encouraging and to make the hopeless hopeful. This good news, this message of Christ crucified and resurrection has the power to do that and infinitely more. So brothers and sisters, here is a question for you. Do your neighbors... Do your coworkers and the waiters at your favorite restaurant who know you kind of on a personal level, do these people see in you, do they see in you that the gospel is not some run-of-the-mill message to go in one ear and out the other, but the gospel message enacts a metamorphosis, a transformation of spiritual means in each of our lives, a transformation. Do they see this? 
Do your coworkers and neighbors and waiters and people in your spheres of life see in you that you have been strengthened with all power? Colossians 1.11, according to God's glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you, past tense, qualified, it's done. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered you, past tense, it's done. You are delivered from the domain of darkness and Jesus has transferred you into the kingdom of him, his beloved son for the father in whom you stand and are forgiven. Do people see that in you? Sweet mercy, Lord, forgive me. Because I leave my house almost every morning without engaging prayerfully and intentionally this fact that every step that I take into my neighborhood and workplace and gym, well, I never step there, but elsewhere, every, it's the mission field for me. I've been called to this place to relay and reflect the message of Christ. So have you. If only our neighbors and coworkers and classmates, you follow me on that. If only they would see in us something so otherworldly that they can't help but ask for an answer. What, dude, what is that? How, in the midst of all the tumult in this world, how are you so poised? And I can tell you're afraid, but you're, you're, you're not afraid without some deep-rooted confidence. Yeah, you're right, I am. Why don't you grab a cup of coffee? Why don't you come and sit with me over here? Let's, let's, let's just chat. Oh, Lord, use us like that. Use us like that. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me. I can only speak from me. And if anyone can... Echo, Lord, revive us, strengthen us, mobilize us, use us as the means you've intended us to be. So understanding, um, understanding the four essential features of the gospel message, I think is pretty important. Now look, there are a lot of different ways that you can articulate the gospel, but there are, there are some essential features in the story of the gospel. And different pastors and theologians have, have lined, you know, outlined this in different ways, but my two favorite are this, God, man, Christ, response. There's that way of looking at it, and then there's a kingdom way of looking at it. Creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Just kind of four acts in the gospel story that is important for us it's important for us as believers to have some semblance and understand and semblance of understanding this so that when we have the opportunity and Lord willing we will we're able to walk individuals through God man Christ response God everything exists by through and for our triune creator God who is holy everything exists by him through him, for him. That's God. Man. We have each disregarded. 
and we have each disobeyed the God who made us for his glory. We have each broken God's law and we will each face the penalty. That's man. Christ, in response, or no, that's the wrong part. Forget that part. Christ, in demonstration of God's relentless love for us, God the Son became a man to obey God's law on our behalf and to pay the penalty for our disobedience by dying on the cross and raising to life to guarantee our pardon and forever life. And response, every man, woman, and child from every nation of the world is commanded to repent, to turn from their sinful ways, and to believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, by his blood, by his death and resurrection alone, we are reconciled to and with our triune creator God forever. Now, that was a lot. But thinking through that structure of God, man, Christ response, God, he created us. We're his. We're accountable to him. Man, we didn't want to be accountable to him. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, we turned our back to that. We tried to make ourselves God. And we were then separated from God, from fellowship with him, because he's holy. So Christ, God and man, the God-man, came to live, die, and rise to reconcile man to God. The God-man brings God and man together. And our response, oh, brother, sister, well, I won't say it to you because you are believers, but him or her out there, believe Trust this message. Trust this message. Turn from your sinful ways and trust this message. Trust in Christ. I won't go through, I, I have an outline here in terms of, of looking at the gospel through the lens of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, uh, redemption and consummation. But, um, but I, I'll save that for a different time. Look, a brother, a, a member here has already said, Chris, it would be really, really helpful if maybe some point here at, at Oaks, we could do like a, like a workshop sort of thing. Maybe on Sunday nights, take four weeks, and we, we learn, we get kind of in and out with articulating the gospel and then practice ways that we might um, share that with our neighbors and our coworkers. That was a wonderful idea and, and that, that's, that, that idea is spinning, okay? So I don't want to leave you hanging. But here, here is just one more uh, gospel presentation in quick. Look, although we have each rebelled against the God who created us for his glory, and although we each deserve the punishment of eternal separation from him, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. He lived the holy life we have each failed to live. He died the death we each deserve. And he rose to life that we would turn from sin and call on him. That's the good news. That is the good news that our beautiful feet get to have the privilege of carrying into all the spheres of life. Think about when we break out here in just a little while, think of all the places we scatter out into. Worcester is really well covered. And there are other gospel-centered churches in Worcester as well, so I praise the Lord for that. But for here, right here and right now, think about the fan, how we just disperse and cover Worcester. Praise God. Use us, Lord, as the means 
the method of relationship primarily with the message of the good news that sinners can be and are reconciled to God forever by repentant faith. Amen? Let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship. Jesus, community, and mission are three utmost passions. Father, would pray that you would help us in obedience to the great commission, in obedience to your word, help us to be revived in the gospel this morning, to be stirred in the gospel this morning, and to be deployed with the gospel that we would permeate the city of Worcester on mission. To show Jesus in our fruitful conduct and to share his message, the gracious, wonderful, glorious message of Christ's life, death, and resurrection to pay for and reconcile sinners to you. Oh, Lord, send us out on this mission and we ask for fruit. Lord, we ask that we would be absolutely stirred and spurred by this fact that some who hear will come. They will come. They will call upon you and be saved. Oh, Lord, make us a church that is on mission for your glory, for the good of this city, and for the joy of our participation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.